Morning. Is this working? All right. Don't panic. We do have more singing. You got people going, wait, that was really quick. What's going on here? There, there is more singing coming. But first, yeah, listen to me for a little bit. Uh, my name's Cliff. I'm the pastor of Bridges Church here. And for those who are visiting uh, this morning for the first time, second time, I just want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for coming. It's a great honor and privilege to celebrate this Easter, this Resurrection Sunday with you. Now, if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. It's great if you have a Bible to go look, look through with that. Or if you don't, or if you want to look through uh, in your notes, sermon notes, I have the passage we're going to look at today printed out in, uh, in the sermon notes in the bulletin. And we'll look at that shortly. Now, how many saw our sign up there on the corner? Okay, that's a good little survey. Maybe we shouldn't do any more signs on the corner. About five. How many saw our cards, our invitation cards? Okay, maybe a few more cards. I don't know. That's, we need to figure out some better advertising there. But you've noticed, if you saw those things, and now for the hundreds of you that didn't, uh, the main word on the card and on the sign is that word resurrection. That's what we're here to celebrate this morning, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're definitely going to do that. We're going to do that. But I really struggled this week. I really struggled thinking about what should I focus on? What aspect? What should we talk about? And I was leaning towards, especially when I asked Emily, uh, who designed this, yay, Emily, the sign and the card that uh, five of you saw, uh, when I asked Emily to, to work on that, I was leaning towards talking about the evidence for the resurrection, the evidence, the arguments, the, the apologetics, if you will, for the resurrection, evidence showing that Jesus Christ did actually rise from the grave, that the tomb was empty. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the single most important piece of evidence demonstrating the truth of Christianity. The truth of Christianity hinges on the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection. The Apostle Paul made that abundantly clear. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, he writes, and if Christ has not been raised, if there was no resurrection, then our preaching, he's preaching, I'm preaching, the the, the proclaiming of the gospel is in vain. And your faith, He's talking to the church in Corinth. Their faith is vain. It's vain. If the resurrection isn't true, if Jesus is not alive, if he's still somewhere, if his body is somewhere, then our faith, the Christian faith, is vanity. It's foolishness. It's stupid. So I hope you can see why the evidence for the truth of the resurrection is so important. And on past Easter's, we've, we've actually spent time examining that evidence and in other situations, because yes, there is good historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There are lots of, tons of. I, I did a search the, a couple weeks ago on books. There are book after book after book on the topic of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if, and if you want to examine that evidence, if maybe there's some doubt in your mind, in your heart, uh, we even have a book that we can give you after the service. It will be on the visitor's table. It's titled The, the Case for Easter. It's just a, a small little book by uh, a man named Lee Strobel. 
And I'd recommend if you, if you have questions that you grab a hold of that or some other book or come talk to me or, or someone else about the truth of the resurrection. But that's not, as Tom mentioned, that's not what we're going to look at this, this Easter Sunday. As I thought and as I prayed about it, I decided to go in a, a different direction. My concern was that if we focused on the evidence that it's possible that some would walk away and we'd think, well, that was interesting, that was neat, the, the swoon, I won't even go, the swoon theory and all these possible theories for what happened to Jesus and how they really couldn't be. Okay, he made a compelling argument for the truth of the resurrection. If I had any doubts before, I'm now convinced, yes, Jesus did rise from the dead. And then we'd go on to Easter lunch and as if nothing had happened. I really don't want that. And I, and I can assure you that God doesn't want that. I assure you that God doesn't want Easter Sunday or any Sunday or any day to just be a time when we put on our nice clothes. Thank, thank some of you for having ties, Gary, so I'm not alone. I saw the Rickard boys. They had on ties. I don't know what happened to their dad, Chad. <laughs> he can't seem to... <laughs> do, you, do you own a tie, Chad? No, I'm just kidding. His mom didn't dress him, okay. Uh, That's funny. So God doesn't want us just to be a day to put on our nice clothes. Maybe to go to an Easter sunrise service. How many went out to Mount Rubido or another Easter sunrise service? Great. To go to an Easter sunrise service, then to come to church. How many went to church? Oh, all of you, good, We're, we're here. And then to just carry on with the rest of our day like nothing happened. God wants today to be different. More than being convinced that the resurrection is true, and we do need to be convinced that the resurrection is true, but more than that, God wants us to experience what the resurrection means for you personally, for your personal life. Let me, let me see if I can illustrate the difference between just knowing something is true and personally experiencing something that is true. Let me give two scenarios. We've all experienced, experienced something like this first scenario uh, lately, just in the past few weeks. You're sitting in your living room, you're watching the news on TV, and as you watch, you hear a report. A report comes across the news wire on a plane crash. A lot, lot, of, lot of those in the news lately, it, it seems. The reporter says that they found the wreckage Excuse me, they haven't found the wreckage, but they fear that everyone aboard is lost. You listen to the facts, you know that the odds of surviving a, a plane crash are very slim, you feel some, some degree of sadness, and then you change the channel to something else. So that's scenario one. Now imagine a second scenario. It begins just, just the same way, just the same as the first. You're sitting in your living room, the news comes across, you hear of a plane crash... You hear the same report, all are feared to be lost. The difference in scenario two is your closest loved one is aboard that plane. Your spouse, your parent, a child, your best friend. If that were the case, then you would experience the news in a much different way. Now notice this. In the first scenario, you believe the facts. You believed the reporter. You believed it was true. Yes, you believed. No doubt there was a plane crash. They wouldn't be, wouldn't be on Fox and CNN and all the news channels. And then you change the channel and move to something else. 
But if those facts become personal, like in scenario two, it would shake you at the core of who you are, at the core of your being. It would shatter your world. You would truly experience the news of that plane crash. You would not change the channel and go about your day as if nothing had happened. And so that's what I want us to get to this morning. That's what I want us to experience. Not with bad news, like the plane crash, but with extremely awesome and great and good news. This morning you're going to hear the greatest news imaginable. And I don't want you to hear it and then change the channel onto the rest of your day. But instead, today, when you hear the news, when you hear the truth, of Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection. They're linked together. Can't really talk about one without the other. I want you to hear, maybe for the first time, that this news is more than facts to be believed. It's personal news to be experienced. Yes, Jesus' death and resurrection are true historical events. But they're more than that. They're personal life-changing, earth-shattering events that matter for our lives today and will matter for all eternity. And how you experience, let me make this clear, how you experience, how you engage with these events, Jesus' death and resurrection, determines whether or not you're a genuine follower of Jesus Christ, that you're a genuine believer, a genuine Christian. Now you might be thinking you already know what it means to be a Christian. Maybe you do. Maybe you're thinking, though, that it means believing a certain set of facts, specifically facts about Jesus, and especially facts about Jesus' death and resurrection. Some who call themselves Christians would say this, believing believing Jesus is the divine Son of God sent by the Father, sent from heaven by the Father, believing that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world, believing and even believing that Jesus rose from the grave. Some would say, that that's what it means to be a Christian. Believing this checklist of facts. Yeah, I, I got that one. I saw the evidence for that one. I believe that one. But what I want us to see this morning, what I want us to understand, wherever you are, as Tom said, on your faith journey, is that that's not really true. That's like hearing the news of a plane crash or something else and believing it and then just flipping the channel. James James was uh, Jesus' brother, his half-brother, and he wrote a book in the, in the New Testament. And he wrote this book to combat this idea that it was only about a checklist of beliefs. He said, even the demons believe and shudder. James says, look guys, demons, devils, Satan himself believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows that he died on the cross and that he rose and that he was eyewitness. He saw the whole thing. But he's not a Christian. And so clearly, there's something more to Christianity than believing some facts about Jesus Christ. Now, just to be clear, being a Christian is believing that Jesus is the divine Son of God who died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Yes, it is believing. But it's not just hearing news about Jesus dying on the cross. It's not just hearing news about Jesus rising from the grave. Believing that news and then changing the channel and living the rest of your life like it doesn't matter. 
Not experiencing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not allowing it to impact your life. That kind of believing is not what it means to be a Christian. Being a Christian means believing, but believing that has an impact on your life. If there's no impact, the belief is not what the Bible calls belief. What it is, what true belief is letting the reality of what you know to be true, the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus did soak into your heart and soul. It's letting your belief in Jesus change everything about who you are, about how you think, about how you live, about how you relate to the people around you. That's believing. And that brings us to our passage for today. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 11. I'm going to read these words. You can follow along in your Bible or the sermon notes. Because Paul, Paul's the name of the guy that wrote this book of Romans, that wrote this passage that we're going to read, is saying that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is meant to be personally experienced. Paul doesn't want the Romans, the church in Rome that he's writing to, or us, those who read it today, to just believe the truth and change the channel. He wants us to understand the massive, the radical impact that Jesus' death and resurrection has in the life of those who trust in him. And what I'm going to do today is to break my message into two parts. In the first part, we're going to look at Jesus' death on the cross. This is going to be the longer part of the message. This is happening right now. Then the worship team is going to come back up. Amen. Hallelujah. And they're going to lead us in, in several more songs. And they're going to help us to consider what we've heard, what we've heard about the death of Christ. Then I'm going to finish with the second part of the message, looking at Jesus' resurrection. Okay? So let me read the passage, and you can follow along in your Bibles, your notes. It's going to be on the overhead. Paul's writing to the church in Rome. He's writing to believers, to those who believe in Christ. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. So if that's not what you have, you might want to look at the overhead or in your notes. Verse 3. Do you not know that all of us, the church, he's writing to the church, who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Let me pause there for just a second. When we think of baptism, and rightly so, we think of that uh, water thing that happens. That word baptism just means immersed, submerged. When we, do you not know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus, who gave ourselves to Christ Jesus, were immersed into his death, okay? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into his death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk That word walk means live, to walk, to to act out our life in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin, once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also 
must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, so that's some big words, some big language, but but let's look at it. As we examine this passage, we're going to be keying off specifically verse 5. And verse 5 begins with these words, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, or if we've been united with Him in His death, to experience and understand the death of Jesus Christ, to not just believe He died for your sins and then change the channel, we need to grab hold of this truth that we are, or we can be, united with Christ in His death. You say, what the heck does that mean? What does that mean? What does Paul mean in verse 3 when he says, Christians have been baptized, immersed into the death of Christ? Or verse 4, Christians have been buried with Him by baptized baptism into his death. I think it's clear, especially in verse 5. I think he's saying like the same thing over and over in different ways. And in verse 5, when Paul says, we're united with him in his death, his death has an impact on us. That word united literally means planted together. I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this union, and, and this is what I thought of and. It may not be perfect, but I got this picture of of a skydiver and his student, a skydiving student. I don't know what those are called. When you learn to skydive, and and I have done this many times, not. uh, When you learn to skydive, I've seen pictures. Before you can jump alone, you have to be connected to an instructor, I hear, and you jump together. You jump out of the plane, and the instructor is in control, but you're connected, you're joined together. And, and, and when that takes place, whatever happens to the instructor, be it death or life, it's going to happen to the student. Right? You get the picture? What Paul is saying to the church in Rome and to us is that we were connected to Christ when he died. And what happens to him happens to us. We were united with Christ in his death. His death has meaning for us. So let me look, let's look at, at three things related to our union with Christ's death. The first two describe what it means. They describe what it means to be united with Christ in his death. And the third explains how to become united to Christ in his death. So I'm going to give you one and two what it means to be united with Christ in his death. And then I'm going to tell you, if, if what I'm describing, one of them two, and you say, you know, I haven't done that. I'm really not united with Christ in his death. Number three is going to tell you how you can be united with Christ in his death. So Jesus, so the first thing we, we see about this union with Christ in his death is Jesus died as our substitute. Jesus died as our substitute. Being united in Christ in his death means that if you are a Christian, his death was for you. He died for you. It had an actual, a real, lasting impact on your life, and it will have an actual, real impact on your eternity. This is where Jesus' death on the cross becomes very personal. Because a substitute is someone who takes someone else's place. He takes someone else's place. We've had this idea illustrated for us, I think, pretty well in a recent book and movie series called The Hunger Games. How many are familiar with the Hunger Games. All right. I don't need to speak. You guys know what I'm talking about then, right? All right. If you've read the book, seen the movie, maybe you already know what I'm going to say. 
But for those who haven't, let me explain. The series takes place in a a post-apocalyptic world, a country of Pan-M. I think that's right, for those experts out there. I just saw the the movies, I don't know. Pan-M is divided into a capital and then 12 districts or states, provinces. And each year, to remind the citizens of the provinces, the districts, that the capital is in control, they hold the Hunger Games. What they do is take two young people, ages 12 to 18, one male and one female, from each of the 12 districts. They call this the reaping. Then these 24 children, after some screening and some training and things, are brought together in some strange place to fight to the death. Sounds exciting, right? Not if you're one of them. The last boy or girl left standing is the victor of the Hunger Games for that particular year. It's yearly, right? I didn't, okay, thanks. Now, the two people from each district are selected by lottery. And you do not want to win the lottery in this case. <laughs> Their names are drawn out of two large glass bowls. If, you, if you've seen the movie, you can see the purple-headed lady doing this. One bowl for the boys and one bowl for the girls. And if your name is selected, then you must participate in the Hunger Games. Unless, unless someone is willing to take your place. That's what we saw in the, in the first book, in the first movie of this series. Uh, the, 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 the purple-headed lady reaches in and pulls out the name in the girl's jar of Primrose Everdeen. I think we have a slide there. Yes. So Primrose is on the right. And her, sit, her sister, Katniss, who becomes the heroine of this story, volunteers to take her place. So instead of Primrose going to fight for her life in the Hunger Games, Katniss goes in her place. And you've seen the movies and books. I think they're all done now, right? No. Oh, sorry. Okay, whatever. So, so Katniss was the substitute for Primrose. And what we need to understand is that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus volunteered to take our place. He didn't volunteer to fight for his life, like Katniss. Jesus volunteered knowing full well he wouldn't fight for his life, that he would actually die in our place. Now you may ask, well, why did he do that? Katniss volunteered to be the substitute because of the immediate threat of the Hunger Games. Katniss knew that the sister she loved would not survive. But, did, but, but, does Jesus vol, but, but why does Jesus volunteer to be our substitute? Because Jesus knows that because of our sin, we will not survive. We have no hope of survival. Primrose was in grave danger because her name had been drawn out of a bowl. We, every one of us, is in much graver. Primrose's danger was for life. Our, our, our danger, humanity's danger, is for life and eternity. Every single one of us in this room has sinned against God. We've rebelled against our Creator, our loving Creator. We've all, in one way or another, no matter who you are, we've all, in one way or another, said, my ways are better than your ways. I'm going to do what I want to do instead of the one who created me, the God of the universe, instead of what he wants me to do. We've all done that, and that is sin. 
And the Bible says that the payment for sin, the penalty for sin, is death. And worse yet, here's the bad news. You have to have the bad news to get to the good news. Worse yet, the penalty for sin before an eternal, holy God is eternal death. Death forever. Later in the same chapter of Romans, Paul writes in verse 23, For the wages of sin is death. The wages, what you earn, every sin you commit, you're earning death. Death is the payment. Death is the only payment for sin. You earn death by sinning. So because of our sin against an eternal holy God, we earn, we rightly deserve eternal death. Eternal separation from God. We have no hope of survival. So do you see why we needed Jesus to be our substitute? We're destined for eternal death. But God, out of love, intervened. God, out of love, acted. We've heard it before, but the words are sweet. The words are beautiful. The words are good news every time. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, a world that was condemned. If you read on into uh, John 3.17 and 18, you'll see we were all condemned already. God so loved the world that was condemned that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, die eternally, but have instead eternal life. God, because of love, sent His Son to live the life we could not live. A life of total obedience. There was no sin in Jesus. Jesus lived a sinless life. He lived a sinless, sin-free life. And therefore, and therefore He had no penalty to pay. The penalty for sin is death, but Jesus didn't sin. He had no penalty to pay. He had earned no death. He had no wages. And therefore, He alone, He alone could be our substitute. He alone could take that payment of our sin upon Himself. He died as our substitute. And when we believe, when we trust that Jesus has taken the penalty of sin upon Himself, that he died as our substitute, then we're united with him in his death. Let me talk a little bit more about that. His death is our death, and his death is enough to pay the penalty for our sins. So we died to our sin. We died to our sin. That's the second point there. We died to our sin because of Christ is our substitute. We died to our sin. Verse 11, so you also must consider yourself dead to sin. Consider, reckon, believe. It's true. Because of Christ, you're dead to sin. When Paul talks about dying to sin, he means all the, all the penalty, all those wages due, all those wages that you earned because of your sin, the wages of death were put on to Christ. He paid the price for your sin and mine. So to become a Christian is to know, to understand, and embrace that truth. Jesus, your substitute, has taken all the guilt and all the shame of your sin on Himself. My sin, He's taken my sin and it was put on Him in His death. And what that means is amazing. It will transform your world. It's not just something to check off. something to embrace. Because it means there's no more penalty for you to pay. There's no more penalty for you to pay. There's nothing you can earn. 
Christ has taken all the penalty of our sin upon Himself. So we die to our sin. And that means, and Paul says it in verses 6 and 7, we know that our old self, the, the guy who wasn't united with Christ in His death, our old self was then crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. The body, the, the vast amounts of sin that we've accumulated is now nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. This is good news. For one who has died has been set free from sin. If you're united with Christ in His death, then you die to your sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. If you're not united with Christ, then you are. You're a slave to sin. You're you're held sway by its power. It has dominion over you. In Christ, though, you're not only forgiven for your sins, and we like that, we like that we're forgiven for our sins, but you're also given the power to overcome your sins. In Christ, you are free from sin's power in your life. You're free from sin's power in your life because Christ, you died with Christ and He took care of it. So the question is, would you like to be united with Christ in His death? Is that appealing to you? Would you like Christ to be your substitute Or do you want to pay the penalty yourself? And you can do that. All you have to do is die eternally. But Christ substituted so you wouldn't have to. Would you like to be dead to sin? So our third point explains how we become united with Christ in His death. This is what it means to be a a genuine Christian. Not just someone who believes a set of facts. We turn from self and we trust Christ as Savior. We turn from self. These happen simultaneously. You can't trust in Christ if you're, if you're still focusing on yourself. This is where Christianity is so radically different. We need to get this. So radically different than every other religion in the world, every other philosophy in the world. Every religion in the world, every religious teacher in history comes on the scene And he gives people a path to follow. He gives people a set of rules to obey. Things to do in order to achieve your salvation. In order to earn your your place. Do these things. Obey these rules and you'll get heaven. You'll get paradise. You'll get enlightenment. You'll get nirvana. But Jesus comes on the scene... And his message is totally different. It's opposite. It's totally unique. No one else has said this. Instead of do these things, follow these rules, and you'll be saved by your own efforts, instead of that, Jesus comes on the scene and he says this, do nothing. I've done everything for you. I'm your substitute. I've lived the life that you could not live. I've died the death you deserve to die. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Nothing you can do. I guess you can do something. You can respond. Respond to what Jesus provides. Turn from yourself. Turn from trusting in yourself. Turn from your own 
so-called achievements, your good works, and turn to Christ, giving your life to Jesus Christ, who offers to be your Savior, who offers to be your substitute, who offers to go in your place to death, to turn from every attempt in your life to cover up, to make excuses for your guilt and your shame and your sin. And so trust that Jesus has taken it all upon Himself. You turn from yourself and you trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Please, please understand that being a Christian is more than believing a set of facts about Jesus. It's understanding, it's embracing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the Lord and Savior of your very life. It's accepting Jesus as your substitute. It's humbly admitting, I can do nothing. Christ has done everything. It's giving all you have to Jesus who died in your place. It's allowing Him to enter in and transform your life. That's what it means to be united, connected, joined with Christ in His death. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to talk about what it means. So, so get this. Because you're united with Christ in His death, that automatically means you're united with Christ in His resurrection. And we're going to get to that in a second. It's Easter Sunday, and we need to talk about the resurrection. But first, I want us to consider what we've just heard. I don't want, it, I don't want us just to flip the channel quite yet. I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come forward, if you, if, you, if you would, at this time. And they're going to lead us in a a few songs. Songs that that Chad has chosen to help us think about, to help us contemplate and consider our union with Christ in His death. And as we sing, and as we sing, I, I want Christians to rejoice in their heart to just over and over again to thank the Lord for the truth that you're you're united with Christ in His death. That Jesus Christ is your substitute. That you're saved from your sin by the finished work of Jesus Christ. But if you're here today, and maybe for the first time, you're hearing what it really means. What it really means to be a genuine Christian. It's not a set of facts. If you've lived your life, maybe, trying to please God, trying to earn His favor, trying to earn your way to heaven... And today God has opened your eyes to see that salvation only comes to those who turn from self, turn from self, and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Then I'd invite you to take this time as we we sing these songs to do that, to turn from self. And it's 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 an internal thing that takes place, to stop trusting in yourself, to trust in Christ alone as your substitute before God. To say, I can't do it myself. I can't begin to do it myself. Only Christ. To give yourself to Jesus and become united with Him and His death. That His death will pay the penalty for every sin you've ever committed. Now you can do that right where you're seated, and and that's fine. There are no magic words to say. There are no magic prayers to say. It's a matter of giving yourself over to Jesus Christ. But if you'd like to come forward during this time as we sing, if you'd like to publicly express the fact that you're giving your life to Christ, and if you'd like to receive prayer from one of our elders, 
from our prayer team members, then, then as we sing, I'd invite you to come forward. There's some, some chairs here you could sit down in. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to, to know who you are. We'd love to help you because this is a journey. As you become united with Christ in his death, as you become saved, it's a journey you begin. And we'd like to help you on that journey. So Chad, lead us. I think those uh, sweetly broken, holy surrendered, that's what, it, that's what it describes to be a genuine follower of Christ. It's not the facts you believe, it's being broken before those facts, those truths. Being broken and surrendered to God before those truths. So, so really we've been focusing, this could have been a, we have part two here, this is Easter, so we're maybe a little longer, thank you. Uh, what we've been focusing on maybe was, uh, could have been a Good Friday message, Good Friday. And so it's, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And so we want to look at, at what happened on Sunday. And, and the good news has already been preached. I mean, Christ is your substitute. Christ died in your place. Christ took your penalty upon himself. And that could mean that you don't have to die eternally. But it means something else, too. Let's look at what... What else we get if we're united with Christ? Back to verse 5 of Romans chapter 6. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we shall certainly, underline certainly, be united with him in a resurrection like his. We're united with, because we're united in his death, we get to be united in his resurrection. We've been given an opportunity to be united in Christ's death this morning. And for those who've turned from self, who've trusted in Christ, for those who've embraced Jesus as their substitute, here's the great personal truth of Easter. You are now united with Christ in His resurrection. This is good news. Don't change the channel. Don't check out. I know the survey says you can only listen for 20 minutes. Get past it. Jesus died in our place. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, but he didn't stay in the grave. He didn't stay in the grave. Jesus rose as the Lord over death. This is the significance of the resurrection. Jesus not only died for your sin, but he conquered. He was victorious for sin for you. He's an amazing substitute. He experienced that full penalty of sin, the sin of of all humanity was put on Him. That's the moment when Jesus said, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? The sin, your sin and mine, were put upon Him. And He died for those sins. And then He rose in victory. Who else has done that? Who else could do that? No one in all of history could do that. In verse 9, Paul writes, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This is a radical transformation for Christ and for us. That that word dominion means mastery. Death is not his master. Jesus rose, now he's the master, the Lord over death. And that means when we turn from self, when we trust in him, when we are united with Christ in his death, we are also united with Christ in his resurrection. And we rise to live with God. We rise to live with God. In verse 11, Paul concludes with this amazing truth to consider. 
so you are all so so you also must consider, think, reckon, believe, trust in yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you're dead to sin, if Jesus has taken all of your sin upon himself, removed it as far as the east is from the west, if he's paid the penalty for your rebellion against God, your disobedience to God, if Jesus has done all of that, if he's conquered sin in your life, then are are you going to live as a slave to sin any longer? Are you going to live as a slave to sin any longer? Paul says, no way. He saved you from it. You're not still dead. Give, you, you don't have to give yourself over and over to sin. You're alive to God in Christ Jesus now, today. The resurrection mean means we can have a new life in Jesus Christ. When we're united with Christ in His death, then we are by definition united with Christ in His resurrection we are, we are, and we will be resurrected. We're resurrected in this life. You know, when we do the, the baptism thing, that's what we're picturing. We're picturing death to sin and resurrection to new life. We're resurrected in this life. We die to our old self and, and rise now to live with God. And we will also be resurrected to a life eternal. We receive a new life in Christ now, and we will receive life in God's presence for all eternity. That's good news. That's good news for those who are united with Christ in His death and His resurrection. For those who've turned from self, from those who've trusted in Christ. And so I'd like to conclude our service Maybe you guys should have stayed up there by asking the worship team to come up again. And this Easter Sunday, I want us to not only celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but I want us to embrace our union with Christ in both His death and resurrection. I don't want us to leave this place and change the channel to the the rest of our day, to the rest of our week, to the rest of our life. I don't want us to leave this place and not having experienced what it means to be united with Christ. As we sing, ask God to make your union with Christ. And I'm speaking to those who have this union with Christ, who've turned from self, who've trusted in Christ. Ask God to make that a reality in your daily life. Ask God to help you live every day knowing that Christ volunteered that picture of Christ volunteering to give His life as your substitute, knowing that because of Christ, you're dead to sin, that you're alive to God, knowing that because of Christ, you are resurrected unto eternal life in His presence, and knowing that in this life, you've been given the power to overcome sin, to deal with all that life throws at you. I was amazed. Uh, I went to visit Charlie a number of times. Uh, these past several days, and one of the things I kept asking him, Charlie, how's, how's the fear going? How's the fear? Because you're diagnosed with cancer, and I can, you know, fear. Just fear comes. And I asked Charlie, how's the fear? And he says, you know, I'm just not, I'm not afraid. He says, I'm not afraid. 
Charlie knows he's, he's united with Christ. I mean, how can you be afraid? You can have sorrow, you can have sadness, you can, you can be uh, sad that things, your life might not be as long as you thought it would be, you're going to miss your wife and your kids, but, but there's no fear. There's no fear because you're united with Christ in his resurrection. All Charlie, all we who are united with Christ have to look forward to is not physical death, but life with God for all eternity. So I'd ask Chad to lead us as we celebrate our union with Christ in his resurrection. Stay with the-